Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. We are continuing our series through the book of James called The Matters of Real Christianity. Today we are in James chapter 3 and we'll be looking at the power of the tongue and the power it has to influence for good or bad. We encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along with Pastor Roy. James chapter 3, we're going to read down through the first 12 verses. James is a very practical book and he begins talking about the power of the tongue and the influence of the tongue. Beginning in chapter 3 verse 1, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, He is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue, a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water." And so today we've entitled the message, Tongue, a Matter of Influence. It seems like no matter how far along we are in the faith, some of us may be newer believers, we've only been saved a number of months or a year or two, maybe others have been saved five or ten years, maybe you've been saved for 60 or more years. No matter how many years we've been saved, the tongue is always a challenge. (laughs) I've been saved a long time, but I have not conquered the tongue. Uh, And James, in essence, is telling us no one can conquer the tongue. It's only when it comes under the influence and control of the Holy Spirit can we really have a handle and control our tongue the way it should be controlled. So I want to start off uh, this morning just talking about three powers of the tongue. And it's it's very simple outline. I'm going to give you all three at the beginning, and we're going to come back and make some comments about each one. Three powers of the tongue. The first one is the power to direct. The tongue has power to direct. Secondly, it has power to destroy. And thirdly, it has power to delight. So these are the three we want to talk about. Washington Irving said the tongue is the only tool that grows sharper with constant use. And it seems to be true. Leonardo da Vinci said, No member of our body needs so great a number of muscles as our tongue. 
For this member exceeds all the rest in the number of its movements. So quickly can we allow things to come out, and they say our tongue lives in a slippery, wet place. Maybe that's why we slip up so much. I'm reminded of a cartoon that shows a line of pews in a church, and the same sentence is being passed verbally from one pew to the next. And here's what the, the line was in the first pew. My ear kind of hurts. The second pew said, the pastor has an earache. The third pew said, the pastor got a hearing aid. The fourth pew said, the pastor is having trouble hearing. And the fifth pew said, the pastor got a double earring. The last pew, the elderly lady gets up with her cane and she's walking out. She said, that does it. I'm out of here. The pastor got a double earring. And she was out of there. So many times we get things mixed up and messed up. But the first thing that James tells us at the beginning is we have power to direct with our tongue. He says this in the opening verses that not many should presume to be teachers. They're going to receive a stricter judgment. Now it's interesting because in the Jewish culture, parents would oftentimes encourage and spur especially their sons on to become rabbis. Why? Because social status and also the power to influence. Many people could not read or write in their language in, in their day. And so for someone to be able to read and write and have education and be able to be a rabbi, to have that kind of status and rank and position in society, it was people, the parents would push the sons to become rabbis. However, there's an incredible influence that we have. Many of us can go back to our earlier days when we played sports, and maybe there was a coach that influenced us. Maybe there was a school teacher that had a profound influence and impact on our life because of the words they said. I remember when I worked with a, a lady, when I was uh, working my way through seminary, I worked in an insurance company. And I didn't really know a whole lot about insurance, uh, but I learned a few things to make some money to help put food on the table while I was working my way through seminary. And this one lady, I happened to in, mention about her handwriting. Her handwriting was incredible. And I said, man, you have beautiful handwriting. She said, you know, that's the first time I think I've heard anyone say that since about the third grade. She remembered because somebody encouraged her and acknowledged something. And it's so much easier to not acknowledge something in someone's life. We have the power to direct. Here's what Proverbs 10:19 says, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. And we learn what words we need to listen to and what words we don't. When the meteorologist says it's going to rain, we tend not to listen, right? Because I mean, it hasn't rained in so long. And uh, it reminded me of the meteorologist that lost several jobs and uh, he finally said, he had to put down a reason why he left his position, and he said, the climate didn't agree with me. And uh, so many times they have trouble getting it right, don't they? But we are praying for rain uh, for our farmers and their crops. So one of my motivations for sharing the gospel 
You will hear me almost every week make a gospel appeal of some sort, whether it's during the invitation, during the sermon. One of my motivations for sharing the gospel is because so many times in Scripture you hear condemning remarks about false teachers. And we have so many people and so many pastors who are not preaching the gospel today. They won't talk about the cross that we sang about, the Statue of Liberty. That is our Statue of Liberty. Without the cross, we all perish. And so our motivation needs to be to share the gospel. I will be accountable to God for my faithfulness in proclaiming the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. So many people can go to church and hear all kind of good sermons, good moral stories, and all of that. But apart from Jesus Christ's death on the cross, we are all going to perish in hell apart from Christ. That's why we have crosses in the building and on the outside of the building. It is the central message of the Bible. <laughs> you can do a lot of talking about the Bible and bypass the cross, the most important message we have to give. Paul, in teaching the Ephesian elders, said this. When he taught the Ephesian elders, the leaders in the church, he said, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole counsel of God. And that's why there are times that we have to preach things that are not popular, they're not fun to preach on, they're not even fun to listen to, but we preach on them because it's part of the counsel of God. And false teaching is condemned over and over in Scripture because it can not only lead people away from God, false teaching can lead people into bondage, and they lose their freedom in Christ. And so it's so important, and it can destroy a church or a congregation. False teaching also robs God of the glory that only He rightfully deserves. He goes on to say in the second verse, We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man and probably unmarried. Because <laughs> his wife will correct him, right? Uh, our wife will correct us. I don't know about you, but we just celebrated 22 years of marriage. And there's been many, many times I've had to, you know, reel back in, <laughs> try to reel back in some of the words uh, that we say. But he says, we stumble in many ways. Um, if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. How do we stumble? Well, we stumble, James is mainly saying, with our tongue. But let me, let me talk about, just for a moment, how quickly the tongue impacts so many areas of our life. We stumble relationally because of our tongue, do we not? We see divorce we see brothers and sisters not talking and getting along and conflict and fighting because of the tongue. Relationally, we have struggles and we stumble because of the tongue. We stumble emotionally. People have anxiety, depression, and fear because of maybe some message that they heard from someone's tongue. We stumble financially. We get ourselves into debt. We spend too much. We have credit card issues. Probably because we listen to too many commercials. Uh, but it's the tongue that causes these issues. Personally, people have addictions, abuse, verbal, physical, sexual, health issues, identity issues. But many of that stems from the tongue that we get involved in. Decisionally, uh, poor choices, bad habits, 
All those things can stem from the tongue. Let me mention a couple famous stumblers in the Bible. Moses was a famous stumbler in the Bible. David was a famous stumbler in the Bible. Gideon, Peter, didn't he stumble at least three times denying Christ with his tongue? And so I'm encouraged, I guess, to know that God included stumblers in the Bible because I feel like I'm a fellow stumbler. And the one thing we need to be encouraged in, we are all stumblers. And I wish I could, if I could put a pill together, it would be an anti-stumbling pill. (laughs) Say, here, just take this anti-stumbling pill, and you'll never stumble again. The truth of the matter is, this week, or maybe even before the day's out and the sun goes down, we're going to stumble. And it's the grace of God. But it's the grace of God, and it's the Spirit of God that enables us to have control of our tongue. And so, really, church is a place, listen to me, church is a place where stumblers can find fellowship. It shouldn't be a place of judgment. We all stumble in many ways, James says. And so, stumblers come together to encourage one another, to build one another up in the faith. And I think that's important. In Proverbs 18, 6, and 7, a fool's lips bring him strife, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his undoing, and his lips are a snare to his soul. And it is so true. It is so quickly we can offend with our tongue. But yet James says controlling our tongue shows control over our whole body. We are a perfect person, that we're without defect and blemish. And notice he goes on to say he is able to bridle his whole body. We put bits in the mouth of the horse, and that bit is there to create pressure, right? And give direction to that horse so that you can easily steer it with the rein. And it puts pressure in the mouth of that horse. And so it brings to mind a question. What happens with our tongue when it's under pressure? (laughs) What happens with our tongue? We need the power of the Holy Spirit to keep a tight rein on our tongues. If we go back to chapter 1 for a moment, in verse 26, remember what we read earlier in chapter 1, verse 26, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. So by bridling the tongue, he's saying we are curbing, we are controlling, We are restraining, we are governing, and directing our tongue. One of the powers of the tongue is it has the power to direct. The first sin in the early church involved the tongue. They said how much money they brought. It involved that. In Proverbs chapter 6, we won't take the time to turn there, but if you look in Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 19, the Bible says there are six things the Lord hates. And in that list of six things the Lord hates, three of them have to do with the tongue. Let me just mention them. One, he says, is a lying tongue. A second one, a false witness who pours out lies. And thirdly, a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. God condemns that. 
There are people who can instigate and manipulate situations because of their tongue. God help us not be manipulators, but be under the control of the Holy Spirit in what we say to build one another up in the body of Christ. He tells us in Proverbs 12, 22, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. Because in truth, we can build one another up and we can encourage one another in the truth. He also tells us that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle answer. And we don't have time to go into historical examples, but Adolf Hitler, look what he did with his tongue in exterminating so many millions of Jews. Cult leader Jim Jones and others. Here's what James is saying. The bit is so small in the mouth of a horse, and the animal is so large, and yet it is not the size that is not indicative of influence. The small bit has a large influence over the horse. The horse is trained to respond to that pressure in its mouth. And then he goes on and he gives another example of the ship. He says, or in verse 4, Take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a, look what he says, very small rudder. You can have a ship that weighs multiple, multiple tons and a very tiny rudder to guide that ship. Even when there's violent winds and storms and rocks to avoid, it is that small rudder that causes the ship to be safe. And that's what James is saying about our tongue. You want to keep yourself out of trouble? Keep control of your tongue. How important it is. With our tongue, we can stir up violence or we can encourage peace. The second thing, we want to look at here, it also has the power to destroy. The power to destroy. He says in Proverbs 18, 21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. He goes on and gives another illustration of a spark and a fire. Notice in verse 5, likewise the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. We have witnessed that, haven't we? Watching the news, a small spark, and there are thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of property that are destroyed that began with a small spark. And then it takes hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of firefighters and man hours to put that fire under control. That's what James says happens with the tongue. When we just are uncontrolled with our tongue, we can cause as much damage as thousands and thousands of acres, especially those of us who teach God's Word. The misuse of the tongue, he's saying, can cause a spark that ignites into a towering inferno and causes exponential damage because we don't keep control of the tongue. John Calvin said, it is a slender portion of flesh that contains the whole world of iniquity. And I think that is so true. There are three characteristics that can emerge from the tongue that we find in this passage. Number one, it can corrupt the whole person. 
The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus said, it is not that which goes into a man that defiles the man, but it's that which comes out of a man, out of his mouth, out of his tongue, is what really defiles him. And we learn from Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And he tells us that we have a depraved mind. So we have a a deceitful heart and a depraved mind. Is it any wonder why we have trouble controlling the tongue? We do. We all do. We all wrestle with it from time to time. It can corrupt the whole person and defile them. Secondly, it sets the whole course of his life on fire. What he means here by whole course, he means the whole wheel of our existence from birth to death and everything in between. It can set the whole course of our life on fire. I've shared with a couple people I've been doing the uh, golf league this year. And it's been interesting because almost invariably you can't make it through an evening without hearing profanity laced throughout, especially if they hit a bad shot. (laughs) And it's amazing. And how people will bring that up. I had, I had uh, one individual that uh, he, he used the name Jesus Christ. And so I actually walked over to him when he was over by the cart, and I said, you mentioned Jesus back there. Do you know him? <laughs> and he didn't know what to say. I think sometimes so many things come pouring out of people's mouth, they don't even realize what they say. But it can affect the entire circle of life. Thirdly, it is set on fire He says, by hell. Think about it. We have a sinful nature within us. And that sinful nature rebels against God. He's telling us about the rebellious nature of the tongue. Look in verse 7 and 8. The rebellious nature of the tongue. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. He's saying the Phillips translation, I like this, the Phillips translation says it is always liable to break out. That's what it's ready to do. He's saying that our tongue is a restless evil that is unstable in all of its ways like he talks about in James chapter 1 verse 8, like a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. He gives all types of animals here, four types of animals, animals that can walk, fly, crawl, and swim. He's saying we can tame all those. Anybody here been to uh, SeaWorld? (laughs) You see them tame all these animals, huge animals, the whales and things that we can tame, but the beast between our teeth is really a challenge to control to be able to bring tame to it. He's saying by nature, the tongue is going to injure, hurt, and malign people. So the key is the grace of God in our heart. By grace, notice, listen again, by nature, I'm talking about the sin nature in us. By nature, the tongue is going to injure, hurt, and malign people. But by grace, the tongue has a potential to build, bless and encourage by grace he goes on to say the last one the power to delight the power to delight 
He also tells us in these last few verses about the duplicitous nature of the tongue. In other words, it's, it's easy for people to try to speak out of both sides of their mouth, but he's saying that really should not be true of a believer in Jesus Christ. Notice what he says in verse 9. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. And then he gives examples. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? I've been in the Dead Sea, and it's all salt water. There's no fresh water in there, and you don't want to drink it. My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. He says, we produce after our own kind. We learned that clear back in the book of Genesis. We produce after our own kind. Here, these are three examples in the Mediterranean world that they would have been accustomed to hearing about. Figs, olives, and grapes in the agricultural world. And yet... Through these, he's saying they produce after their own kind. Think, for instance, about the characteristics of water. Water is life-giving if you drink it from a water fountain or from a glass. But what happens to water if it overflows the river banks? People's lives are destroyed. When the levees broke in New Orleans... Hurricane Katrina, and the levees did not hold. What happened? People lost their lives. So he's saying, yeah, water in itself, there's nothing wrong with water. Uh, It has life-giving potential. If it is fresh water, it is life-giving with our tongue. We can bless people. We can encourage people. We can build people up with our tongue, or we can tear them down like salt water that is bitter and destructive and ruins people's lives. Here's what he says in Proverbs 12, 18. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So we need to be careful with our tongues. I will never forget when my wife and I went out to eat this particular Sunday afternoon. I don't even remember if we had our boys yet. Maybe you were expecting. It was years ago. We were in a restaurant. We were on a Sunday afternoon. We were waiting for a table. And as we were sitting there in the lobby, this lady says to her little girl, probably no bigger than this, I ought to throw you in the trash. I could not believe, I wanted to grab her and shake her. I could not believe those words came out of that woman's mouth in public, let alone in private, and how we can really denigrate people. And we had a neighbor boy that lived down the street from us And his mother called him Jinx instead of by his real name. I couldn't believe it. Reckless words pierce like a sword. He also talks about trees. The characteristics of trees is they can bear fruit and nourish people if they are healthy trees. With our tongues, we can bear fruit and encourage people with our tongues. Let me give you this from William Norris. If your lips would keep from slips, five things observe with care. To whom you speak, 
of whom you speak, and how, and when, and where. How vital it is. The message of the gospel is there, and that's why we proclaim it, not to put people down, but to let them know that only through Jesus Christ is there hope. The tongue has to be redeemed, like the heart. Otherwise, we're going to say a lot of things that come out of our mouth. And the one thing we need to say that I know is really hard for me to say, I'm going to, I'll, I'll even ask real quick, does anybody else have trouble saying I'm sorry? <laughs> Nobody? Wow, okay, that's just for me. Anyhow, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Those words do not come easy. I don't know why. I guess we don't think we ever need to apologize. Um, but we do. And, um, and you've heard me say before, I've had to tell my boys, I'm sorry, I didn't represent Christ well. Because see, it's not just about representing ourselves or representing who we are, it's representing who we represent in the person of Christ. So what we say with our mouth has everything to do with how we represent the God that we say we serve. Whether we're going to glorify God or we're going to diminish Him based on what we do with our tongue. Let's stand for a word of prayer. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, this is not one of those sermons you're supposed to walk out and just beat yourself up. And, but it is a sermon that we should evaluate ourselves and, and, and really consider, is the Holy Spirit in control of my tongue? Hopefully most of the time, none of us all of the time, uh, but hopefully most of the and increasing so. Like I say, we could be a believer for a number of years, but this will always be a challenge in our lives, uh, the tongue. And it should not discourage people from becoming a teacher, because you could say, well, you know what, I'm never going to teach because I'll never be, well, you know what, there's only one person who is perfect and they crucified him. It's not perfection. It's learning to say, God, I want your Holy Spirit to control me. And we have to come back to that. And we have to apologize to the Lord when we blow it and say, I was wrong. We have to apologize to our spouse when we were wrong. Say, I'm sorry. Or our children. Or maybe a fellow church member that you were harsh with and say, I was wrong. And come back. And seek to build and encourage one another in the faith. I know this, whenever you have a major outreach in a church, like we're having with the Super Summer Jam, and whenever you have a building project going on, like a gym, the devil is not pleased. And so he will do everything he can to cause some kind of rift or ruckus in the body of Christ. And that's why we have to come back and say, God, control my tongue. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so usually it's not really a problem with the tongue as much as it is our heart. That our heart is not right before God. And we have to come back and say, God, help me. Give me the power to direct my tongue so that I'm not destroying others. And give me the power to exercise delight in you. 
If you're here this morning and maybe you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I didn't say, do you go to church? I didn't say, were you baptized? Do you give money? None of that. I'm saying, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? If you were to die right now, do you know you would go to heaven? And based on what? It should be based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He died and shed his blood because we are sinful beings. We deserve God's eternal wrath and judgment. That is the truth. But God in his grace and in his mercy sent Jesus to die for me and for you. And by me putting my faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross, I can become his child. No other way. So if you don't know him or if you have questions, please, this is the thing that will set you free from your sin and give you the ability to have greater control over your tongue. Seek myself out. I'll be shaking hands in the back. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Those of us who do, are we using our tongues to build others up in our family, in the body of Christ, our fellow believers? Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.